Jonathan Goldstein is a lawyer and small business manufacturer. He and his employees were deemed non-essential by Governor Wolf. Jonathan disagrees, so he filed a lawsuit. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome to Brews and Views. I'm Matt Briette, president of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs, and we're continuing to talk about the impact of COVID-19 on the people of Pennsylvania. And I'm talking today to Jonathan Goldstein, founding partner of Goldstein Law Partners. Uh, Jonathan is also a small businessman, a manufacturer, and has filed a lawsuit uh, in federal court against Governor Tom Wolf. Uh, Jonathan, welcome to Brews and Views. Hey, Matt, thanks for having me on. Delighted to be here with you today. Well, uh, you're delighted, but uh, probably not under these circumstances, given that uh, the governor has shut down uh, one of your businesses. And uh, before we get into the lawsuit that you have filed in federal court, uh, a number of lawsuits have been filed against Governor Wolf in state court, and the Pennsylvania Supreme Court has taken these up and I think dismissed all of them that have come before uh, that court so far. Uh, can you talk about the, the cases that the Supreme Court has considered and how yours is different and why you're in federal court instead? Yeah. So, you know, the main case that went through state court was this Friends of DeVito case. And, uh, you know, I'm not one to speak ill of the dead, but uh, I, I think, you know, the, the outcome of that case shows that it was really a sort of a tactical blunder to ask the Pennsylvania Supreme Court to rush through these issues. The, uh, the folks in that case decided to file this on an emergency basis, and uh, the Supreme Court took it up and rushed through the issues. Some of the dissent in that case uh, talked about how there were you know, substantive factual issues that could have used more explanation and exploration. So, um, you know, I, I don't know that rushing uh, a court on, a, on, a, on an issue like this where you're, you're asking them to to really uh, to do a, a, a heavy lift, right, to, to countermand a governor in the middle of a crisis. I don't know that that was the best tactical choice, but um, that opinion is out there now. Yeah. What about the substance of them? Was, was there, is there merit to the case that was made uh, that the court uh, um, looked over? Yeah. So, so many of the claims that were made are the claims that we're making in federal court. Uh, the difference is that um, that, that this is the sort of case that's really made to be brought in federal court. I mean, keep in mind what you're doing when you go into state court with a case like this. You know, you're asking judges who are people just like we are, um, you know, to, to, to rule that the government that, that pays their checks and the government, you know, that sort of helped them to get where they are. You know, we elect judges in Pennsylvania, uh, and not to disparage the justices, they do a fine job, but, 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 but they're in the same sovereignty chain, if you will, as the governor and the legislature that are managing this. This is the kind of case that cries out for being brought in federal court, uh, where you're dealing with judges uh, installed by and maintained by a separate sovereign. Um, substantively, uh, you know, they, they reached one part of the takings analysis uh, by talking about the Lucas case, but the state Supreme Court um, opinion was absolutely silent as to um, a line of cases uh, called Penn Central, 
that that deal with with government takings and we think that that is still a vein along with Lucas that is ripe for exploration by the federal court. So Jonathan, you have filed suit in federal court uh, on behalf of uh, your company, uh, Shomeric, uh and its employees. And, and uh, describe Shomeric and um, what you do there, and then what it is precisely that you're saying Governor Wolf deprived you and your employees of. Sure. So Schulmerich is one of two manufacturers of orchestral quality, musically tuned handbells in the world. Uh, the other company that is our competitor is also in Bucks County. Um, and we have, uh, prior to my ownership, uh, you know, the companies battled titanically. Uh, there were suits that all went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court on the patents around bells. It's sort of a fascinating story. And um, uh, NPR uh, did, a, did a story on us a number of years ago that people can Google and find. But um, uh you know, we are a small manufacturing company. Um, we are not uh, General Motors. We are not General Electric. Uh, we employ uh, people here locally in Montgomery and Bucks County, and uh, we ship product all over the world. And, uh, you know, like many other small manufacturers, we were ticking along, doing great. Uh, everything was, was going well. And then, um, you know, the governor ordered us closed, uh, describing us as a non-essential business which as I've said in a number of other forums is a curious designation because uh, the company seemed pretty essential to me and my employees uh, for a long time, but uh, we're, we're not essential to the governor. Um, I want to be very clear with your readers because, you know, we got a few pieces of hate mail when we first filed this lawsuit. We are not contesting the governor's authority to close certain businesses under certain circumstances during emergencies. He has that authority. The legislature granted him that authority. There certainly should be changes now that we've seen how it works. There are changes that should be implemented to the way that authority gets exercised. We can talk about that. But he has the authority to close businesses. What he doesn't have is the authority to close those businesses using a set of capricious and arbitrary standards. And secondly, what he can't do is close those businesses for a public purpose and expect private actors like my manufacturing company and my employees to bear the cost of that when the benefit is exclusively for the for the public. And so uh, you're saying that the governor has effectively taken a private company uh, and is failing to compensate uh, for that taking. Is that correct? That's really it. I mean, you know, we've talked, we, we also made some due process claims. And again, we can talk about those separately. But in terms of the of the takings argument that we've made, what we have said is that if you read Governor Wolf's orders, right, go to the orders themselves and look at the preamble to it. Look at all the whereas clauses, right? Whereas the World Health Organization and the CDC has declared COVID-19 a public health emergency of international concern, and whereas I've proclaimed a disaster emergency, and whereas, you know, emergency powers, emergency powers, and whereas isolation and quarantine, now therefore close all these private businesses. So when he talks about what this is about, this is about a legitimate, properly declared public health emergency. Great. Fine. Thank you, Governor. We need you to coordinate the government apparatus in Pennsylvania to protect the public generally from just this kind of an emergency. But you can't then say, here is this category of businesses that happen to be small that happen to make things that aren't 
healthcare related, and they should bear the cost of this public emergency. That's not right. That's not fair. That's not constitutional. And that's why we're in federal court. So where does that stand right now? Is this where uh, this is uh, likely to only have a result long after uh, the coronavirus has been uh, dissipated? Uh, uh, I I suspect it's not moving quickly uh, as most court cases don't. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the the, the U.S. judicial system now uh, is in many ways, uh, you know, reminiscent of that, uh, you know, that 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 uh, famous case from Dickens, right? Jarndyce v. Jarndyce, right, where it just grinds on forever and ever and ever. And you know, the judges are working hard and the clerks are working hard, but the volume of cases is way up everywhere. Courts have been closed. Um, it's just a mess. And um, you know, that's that's really part and parcel of of, of what's going on here. You know, across the economy, right? It, uh, the left wants to blame Trump. The right wants to blame Nancy Pelosi. I mean, this is totally unprecedented. Nobody could have prepped for this. You couldn't have scaled up any infrastructure to handle this. I mean, how do you expect the, uh, you know, the unemployment compensation people here in Pennsylvania, for example, right? You know, how do you expect them to deal with a, a tenfold, fifteenfold increase in filings? And you know, there's just no way to set up a system for that. And the, and the federal courts were in the same place. So yes. To answer your question in the most roundabout lawyerly way, uh, <laughs> it's uh, it, it's going to take a while, but that's a good thing. You, know, you don't want to rush a court when they're trying to do heavy lifting, important you know things like this. So, uh, and you filed this as a class action lawsuit, uh, correct? We did, and and it's an interesting thing we ought to talk about for a moment. So, you know, we filed it as a class action. We we got out there early. We were the first to file in federal court, and as soon as we filed this thing, we started getting news coverage. And man, oh, man, did the phones start ringing and the emails start pouring in. And it was really two kinds of emails. One was emails from people who thought we had filed a suit challenging Wolf's authority to do these sorts of closures. And, you know, those were angry and nasty in a lot of cases. And, you know, we sent those people back a clarifying email to say, hey, look, read the suit right there. in, in, in I think it's paragraph five or six or 10. You know, we say he can do these sorts of things. What we're talking about is compensating the people whose businesses and jobs were taken. And most of the time people calm down at that point. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, th- this, um, you, you know, this thing was filed as a class action. And as soon as those emails started pouring in, we started thinking it might make more sense to go in on behalf of a half a dozen or a dozen specific plaintiffs. So we're rethinking right now, you're, you're really inside the fence on this one, uh, whether to keep going as a class or whether to re- recast this suit on behalf of a handful of uh, of plaintiffs to really um, you know bring to life some of the some of the damage that's been done by by these closures and then what is the remedy that you're seeking Jonathan if you're successful uh, what does this mean is this not what uh, the federal government is trying to do with its loans and and doling out of money that uh, I guess we're you know printing presses and in Washington, D.C. building basements. Um, what what remedy are you looking for here? So remedies in a case like this are really a fascinating topic. And if this were a straight up legal podcast, we would be spending a lot of time talking about this. Constitutionally, um, you know, there's 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 an, the 11th Amendment prevents uh, you know, a sovereign a state, like a com- the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, the Commonwealth of Kentucky, the state of New York, they are, they are prevented from being dragged into federal court in a lot of cases 
and being tagged with liability, certainly money damages. And I'm painting with a very broad brush here. For those of you that are lawyers in the audience, calm down. Everything's going to be okay. Um, but uh, but 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 you know, for lay people, you know, getting money damages out of Pennsylvania is a constitutionally fraught issue. So you know, in terms of the remedies. Certainly, we would like a federal court to declare that the way that Pennsylvania went about this is impermissible and that, God forbid, they are going to do something like this again. The methods that they used have to be revisited, and, and, and they can't do what they did in terms of the arbitrary and capricious nature of the, uh, of the businesses that were said to open and close. But, you know, we're looking for a federal court to sort of tell Pennsylvania you know, this, this really isn't, this isn't right. You can't just take people's businesses and jobs uh, and expect them to bear that cost privately. So we're, we're exploring what kind of remedies are available, but it's a, it's a nuanced and fraught issue when you're dealing with uh, a defendant that is a, that is a sovereign uh, state like Pennsylvania under the constitution that has rights under the constitution, not to be dragged into federal court against its will. Well, do you think that uh, one of the responses that uh, you you might get back from the court or anybody who's critical of your lawsuit is that, look, uh, the federal government is providing loans to small businesses and, and things like that to help uh, um, you recover from this? Is, is that not sufficient uh, remedy? So, you know, this issue of loans, let's talk about that. It really chafes. I mean, the small business owners that I'm talking to are really chafed by this, and, and they're chafed for this reason. Every small business I know has debt, right? They have loans that they took out to buy equipment. They have working capital lines of credit. They have debt. They don't need more debt, right? Every small business owner I know, right, and every small business, including my own, has some debt on it a proper and appropriate level of debt for the operation of the business. It's no help at all to pile more debt on top. And let me give you an analogy. If I come to you, Matt Briette, and say, there's a chemical plant next door to your house. You never knew it was there, but it's there. Um, and it's on fire. And we have to level your house to save the city. And we level your house and the city is saved. And then we come to you and say, wow, thanks so much. Sorry about your house. Here's a low interest loan for you to rebuild your house, right? I mean, that's no solace. That's no remedy at all. You leveled my house to save the city. I already have a loan on my house. It's called a mortgage. And it was the appropriate level of debt for me to have on that building before you leveled it. So you can't come forward and say, here's a loan. You have to come forward and say, here's the money for the house we leveled. And the same thing is true of the businesses that have been seized by the government for the purely public purpose of stopping uh, this epidemic. So Jonathan, uh, I know a lot of small businesses uh, and depending on the industry, whether say you're in the restaurant or food service versus real estate, you have varying levels of cash on hand to be able to uh, re remain shuttered for a certain amount of time. Uh, and it seems as we're talking, we're, we're probably uh, in the middle of that or, or even nearing the end of a lot of small businesses. Uh, in fact, some are saying that, look, Governor, we're reopening on May 1, whether you like it or not, because uh, our businesses cannot survive. Um, at, you know, 
from a legal standpoint, uh, do businesses have the ability to say uh, enough? Like, because you've recognized that the governor does have the ability to shut down businesses. Um, can businesses start declaring themselves open or declare themselves as essential, particularly for their own livelihoods and those of their employees? So, you know, Leviathan does not like um, uppity members of the polity. I can tell you that from, <laughs> from, from the experience I have in my law practice, right? First few people that pick up their heads and, and go for it to do a thing like that. They're going to have the state police at their offices. They're going to face fines. The government's going to threaten to arrest those people. But, you know, much like, um, you know, the enforcement of marijuana laws in, in modern times, the consent of the governed is an important part of our relationship with the government that we have erected to help us lead better lives. I mean, that's something that government lose sight of, loses sight of from time to time, right? We erected a government to help us live better, safer, more fulfilling lives. And when the consent of the governed is withdrawn, either through mass civil disobedience, through people going uh, to their elected representatives in the legislature and installing backbones in them and having them you know, take back control of this from a, a governor and a health secretary, who maybe have gotten ahead of where the polity really wants to be, um, you know, it's going to be hard for the government to arrest and fine its way out of mass civil disobedience on the part of people who just want to be able to go back and earn a living. You know, other places in the world have dealt with this disease um, differently than we have. And I'm no health expert and I don't purport to be one, but there are certainly places like Sweden where uh, you know, different approaches have been taken, businesses that have been allowed to stay open, and, um, you know, the world hasn't ended. So, you know, the, the people of Pennsylvania are reading about this, they're seeing this in the news, and I think they're rightly, uh, even, I think today, protesting in Harrisburg, you know, asking for uh, their government to take into consideration their very valid concerns about their ability to maintain their businesses, earn livelihoods, feed their families, uh, that's got to be grist for the government mill, and they won't be able to find and arrest their way out of it. You're absolutely right uh, about that with, um, you know, uh, how people are responding to this, because when uh, a one-size-fits-all approach is applied to Pennsylvania, which Pennsylvania is really a uh, snapshot of the country as a whole with uh, large you know, urban areas, Philadelphia, which uh, you live outside of, and Pittsburgh, and then you've got the suburbs of uh, the the counties. You're in Bucks and Montgomery, and and then you've got the rural areas. And in Pennsylvania, uh, as we speak today, uh, 80% of the cases of COVID-19 are in 10 of our 67 counties, and about 80% of the deaths are in 10 of our 67 counties, yet the governor has locked down all of those businesses in 57 counties, many of which have zero or maybe one death as a result and are not facing the threats of COVID-19 that uh, our urban areas are where people live on top of one another far more than in our rural areas. And I think that this is, you know, you bring up Sweden, which is really uh, a, you know, uh, comparison to a large state uh, in the United States. Uh, I think 10 million 
in Sweden, Pennsylvania, 13 million. Um, so there, there are comparisons that I hope from just a public policy standpoint, we look back on this and say, all right, here's where we mishandled it. Here's where we handled it well. And that our elected officials start using scalpels rather than sledgehammers uh, when it comes to trying to, to solve these problems, because the sledgehammer uh, takes out uh, far too many people and harms uh, far too many uh, you know, economies as we're seeing today. Matt, I think that's exactly right. And you know, it's very easy to criticize the governor and the health secretary, right? I mean, they, they, this was a fast-moving, fast-evolving uh, crisis. I don't envy them their task of trying to you know, navigate this correctly, but it's important for them to take a look around, you know, to realize that there aren't any hospitals in Pennsylvania that have been overwhelmed mm -hmm. and that, you know, we've had a thousand deaths, which is tragic, but in the grand scheme of things, it's a thousand deaths, not a hundred thousand deaths. And, you know, the people of Pennsylvania are really suffering. I mean, I am talking about businesses that are never going to come back. I'm talking about employees that won't recover. And, you know, it's been very easy to look at the first order impact of this um, of this uh, crisis, right? First order impacts. If you ever read a guy named Ray Dalio, uh, he runs Bridgewater, which is one of the largest private equity funds in the world. He talks a lot about second and third order effects of problems, right? Mm -hmm. Second and third order thinking. Well, first order thinking is to say, right, yes, the... Um, the, uh, the COVID crisis, we have to manage, we have to tamp down the COVID deaths. But, you know, there are second order effects of having done that. For example, you know, a, a woman who found a lump in her breast four or five or six weeks ago and says, you know what, COVID's happening, I'm not going to go in for medical treatment. She lets that go four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, 10 weeks, by the time the whole health infrastructure gears back up, maybe now that woman has, you know, God forbid, a metastatic breast cancer, which if it had been caught three months earlier, uh, you know, wouldn't have been as serious. That's a second order effect, right? Maybe the general mixing of our biome, um, you know, having people in contact with each other and shaking hands, maybe that tamps down disease generally, right? That's something I've been reading a little bit about. You know, that's a second order effect. And then, you know, even third order effects, you have a, 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 a parent that maybe makes, you know, 40, 50, $60,000 a year and was peeling off two, three grand a year for extra math tutoring. Well, now their income is down. They don't have that extra math tutoring for one of their children. Now the trajectory of that kid's whole academic career is flattened out because that math tutoring is missing at a critical point, right? What does it mean for the children of Pennsylvania to effectively miss roughly 5% of all the schooling they're going to get, right? If it's a, a 12 years of, of, of grammar school and high school uh, and you break that in half, now you got 24, you know, sort of half years that a kid's going to go through. Many kids in Pennsylvania now have missed almost half a year of school. They're talking about maybe even extending this into, into the fall. You know, that's a dramatic impact. That's a, that's a quantity of schooling that, you know, years from now we're going to be able to measure the, the, the impact of that schooling that's missing. It's time for some of those factors to start getting into the analysis that we're doing to figure out whether we should stay closed. Well, and, and Jonathan, I know, and I can, I'm sure I can speak for you knowing you that this isn't to minimize anybody who is negatively affected, particularly with death, of course. Uh, but, you know, life is always full of risks and we're always having to balance 
uh, personal responsibility and freedom uh, with those risks. And uh, if every time we have some life-threatening thing, um, we can't shut down the economy. In fact, uh, if people were you know, truly committed to, to saying, hey, not a single life should be lost, we would lower our speed limits to five miles an hour all across the country because um, of all of those uh, automobile deaths. And so, and this isn't to make light of those things or, or to uh, compare them uh, because I know that the uncertainties that a lot of people um, have fear of here with, with this virus uh, are very real. Uh, but we also know that the, this is a virus that's uh, probably not unlike many, many others where it runs its course and immunities are developed and, and vaccines hopefully are also developed to make sure we protect the most vulnerable. Um, and I know that uh, uh, the, the case that uh, you make and I make is that, look, we can both protect people, uh, particularly those in high risk, and we can uh, open up businesses safely and uh, put people back to work because, you know, our, our health needs and our physical needs uh, can be one and the same, uh, as you've noted. Yeah, I mean, it's it's worth saying because, you know, somebody who doesn't think the way we do or approach the world we do is going to listen to this podcast. And, uh, you know, eventually when uh, when you and I are uh, nominated for our federal judgeships, they'll they'll pull this out and, and, uh, and, and use it to, to come after us. I mean, you're absolutely right. This is a serious health crisis. We're not minimizing the fact that COVID is a serious disease that created a great threat to the lives of many Americans. Uh, seemingly, uh, many of them are older Americans or people who had pre-existing health conditions. We won't know for, for years whether that's really true until the final analysis is out. But it's a serious disease. But we also know that economic well-being has a great impact on lifespan and on quality of life. And the fact that people have been put out of work, the fact that children have been pulled out of school, the fact that people are deferring medical care, these are also serious, um, serious things mm -hmm. that need to be considered, you know, by, by, the, by, by the, pub the public health infrastructure and the governmental infrastructure. Um, it's, it's time to start seeing some of those other factors come to the fore and, and be part of the analysis. Well, Jonathan Goldstein of Goldstein Law Partners and chairman of Shulmerick Bells. Uh, yes. Jonathan, thanks for coming on to talk about uh, your lawsuit and uh, just all of these impacts on, on small businesses. Thanks so much. Matt, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be here uh, today with you. I'd be happy to take you know, any follow-up from, uh, from your folks. And it would also be worth saying, you know, if you're out there somewhere in, uh, in podcast land and your business was injured by this, reach out to us. You can look at our website, goldsteinlp.com. That's goldsteinlp.com. Uh, you can send us an email. We'd love to hear your story and uh, uh, maybe you'll become uh, one of the plaintiffs in this, uh, in this case. Uh, we're so sorry for everybody out there who's suffering, both people that have uh, suffered from COVID, uh, people that have lost friends and, and family to COVID, but also the people um, who are suffering uh, through the loss of their jobs and their businesses and and, and some of the people that can't even speak up, some of the children that have, have lost the ability to go to school. We're just, we're just so grateful to be here talking to all those folks about this important topic today. Well, thanks so much, Jonathan, for coming on Brews and Views. Folks, that's Goldstein, L-P, G-O-L-D-S-T-E-I-N-L-P.com. Jonathan, uh, take care and, and best wishes. Thanks, Matt. Thanks so much. 
You've been listening to Brews and Views, a production of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. Find us on Facebook at Commonwealth Partners and follow Matt Briette at M-A-T-T-B-R-O-U-I-L-L-E-T-T-E. -T -T -E.